Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Now with the MLB app, you can get baseball your way. Pick your favorite team, your favorite players, and get customized highlights, stories, and breaking news right on your home feed. Follow the action with Game Tip, where 3D replays add another dimension. Plus, notifications can keep you connected to every pitch, every hit, every game. The MLB app. Baseball, your way. Download it now for free from the App Store or Google Play. Blackout and other restrictions apply. Major League Baseball trade parts used with permission. a good idea have a point it makes it so much more interesting for the listener and welcome to at your service brad young in with you this evening until 10 o'clock and we've got two hours of unadulterated honest fun that's what we're going to do this evening no guests lots of calls lots of topics we want to hear from you tonight 314-436-7900 But I I mentioned to uh, Maria during one of the breaks that when she was finished, I wanted you to stick around because when I came in this evening, you were listening. I thought you were asleep. I'm very sorry. I thought thought you were asleep, and maybe you were kind of, but you were listening to what? The the hearings? This is a second hearing for the city of St. Louis, a small committee of the older people, are having hearings on how people should think that the Rams money should be spent. Okay. So, so it started at 6 o'clock. Got it. What and time did you walk in? I walked in at, at 7.40. Okay. So it was still it was still going on. And now, it you, still is. And I it believe. still is. Wow. I'm sure that's riveting riveting uh, information there. But, you know, last week I took some phone calls. We had a lot of phone calls on how the Rams should spend the money. Mm-hmm. We had some interesting, some facetious. But, uh, but do you know how long these hearings are going to last? Well, judging from the last meeting, the first and or that I listened to, this is not something that's going to be done this year or even early next year. This is going to go probably into the spring before they make a decision because they're gathering all of the input from the people mm-hmm. and then they're going to put that all together and I guess they'll get a committee of people together and see what seems to be the overwhelming um, recommendation to me, it seems to be right now that tonight's meeting is they're wanting more money to go to uh, children's education, especially for uh, preschoolers. And it, it sounds like some of the other things they're looking for ways to improve the city to make it look better and that sort of thing. So, but I do not expect this to happen right away. Okay, and then at some point, and I, I didn't mean to spring this on you, no, but at some, fine. but at some point. This is going to be a, a, what, a joint decision from the Board of Aldermen and the mayor? Yes, I believe that's how it'll come. It'll be, it'll go before the full board then, and then they'll make a decision on just how that money should be spent after they have all the input from the people. Got it. Now, last week, they weren't taking input as to how the people thought the money should be spent. They just were talking about who they thought should be included. So they talked about some of the groups, Um, but tonight they're actually talking about where the money should go. Well, I got to tell you, through this whole process, what what has come to my mind is uh, several years ago, 
Scotland had an icebreaker. And in order, but when they were going to launch this icebreaker, the, the Scotland opened up and said, anyone can vote for the name of this icebreaker. Oh. And the number one vote for the icebreaker was Bodie McBoatface. That was the whole <laughs> I am not kidding. Bodie McBoatface got number one. And so the country of Scotland had to sit there and go, now, are we going to really name an icebreaker? Bodie McBoatface, or are we are we going to come up with something else? So I only mention that in the context of, you know, we want public input. Right. But sometimes that public input isn't necessarily the best way to go. Well, and it's it's kind of all over the place, the input. I mean, I mean there's no, like, one recurring theme with all of them. It, it goes one, maybe one or two will start out with one thing, and then somebody just goes off on another um, area altogether. So they're going to have a lot of recommendations to go through. Well, I hope someone voices the recommendation that I had last week. My recommendation was take the 250, 250 million, invest it in municipal bonds and very safe stocks. You're going to get about a 6% uh, return on that investment, which means you're going to get $15 million a year into infinity for that money. Just by taking the 250 of the Rams money and investing it, you guarantee yourself $15 million a year into infinity. Which is a great idea. But I don't think anyone's proposing that. I don't think anyone is proposing that, which to me seems like a, that's like, a, really? That's how yeah, hard is that? You would still have money left over then to still right. for other projects. Correct. Every year you're going to get an extra 13 to $15 million every year. Kaching, here it comes, mm -hmm. and you can designate how to do that, or better yet, you can say, okay, for the next five years, we're going to put this money towards this project, and then after five years, you can change your mind and say, okay, now we're going to put it towards mm -hmm. some other project that maybe might work better for 15 years or five years or 10 years, however long you want, because that money is going to return on its investment into infinity. That's just such a great idea. I have not heard that proposal by well, Of course you haven't. Of course you haven't, because there aren't a lot of big thinkers uh, in government these days, and uh, Exhibit A is the U.S. House of Representatives. So. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> hey, we have a speaker now, at we least, do. We, we do have a speaker. Not that anyone knows him, but... <laughs> I, I know, but you know what? I do want to mention that, that uh, uh, this is a false rumor. In fact, I researched it today. It is not true in any way that the Republicans place the House Speaker job on ZipRecruiter. That, that is not true. I looked into that. That's a false rumor. Was it truly? Were they making that? No, they weren't. No, I, Nobody I, was I doing made that, that up. See, okay. That, well, here's why I asked that question. That's called a sarcastic joke. And, you know, humor is really hard. Particularly... Uh, <laughs> And when you have to explain no, the joke, that's even worse. It's, it means the joke isn't working. <laughs> no way. What? I, here's why I asked that. A, nothing really surprises me out of DC. But yesterday there was talk going around that they were going to talk about having a shared speaker, two of them. Wow. So I thought well, the Constitution doesn't allow that. Correct. So how could this possibly be throwing around? Be 
throwing out there. And, and the only thing worse than a bad choice for the speaker would be two cho- two bad exactly. choices uh, for the speaker, exactly. which would be unconstitutional anyway. So that's why I didn't laugh at your joke. But uh, No, you didn't laugh at it because it wasn't funny. <laughs> no, See, I didn't Matt, know. Matt has to sit here every week and listen to my dumb jokes and then pretend like they're funny. No. And, and he has to, in fact, the Academy Award this year is, uh, he, he's up for consideration at pretending to laugh at my stupid jokes. I promise you, I, if I'd have thought it was real, I would have laughed. Okay. <laughs> I, I'm not sure that's comforting. Okay, I'll, I'll take that. I'm comforted. I'm comforted by that. Uh, but Maria, thanks for sticking around yeah. and chatting about the Rams. Certainly. Thank hey, you. we're gonna we're gonna go to break now. But as I mentioned, I've got I got 18 hours worth of material here tonight, and I'm not even kidding. So we have to condense it down into two hours. But the point of the show at your service, we want to hear from you. Text or call 314-436-7900. Thank you, Mary Lynn, has already texted in this evening. Appreciate that. Uh, but we'll be right back on At Your Service on KMOX. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. Local news and information direct to your smart speaker. Just say, play KMOX. Welcome back to At Your Service, Brad Young in this evening. And one of the advantages of doing this show once a week, uh, and there is there are some advantages, one of those advantages is when things happen earlier in the week, I get a chance to think about it and come up with some ideas. And one of the things that came to my mind this week was when we're talking about at least the issue that, that comes to my mind immediately is the issue of Israel and the situation with Israel and Hamas. And I've got some very strong opinions on that. I'm very, very much pro-Israel, and what happened really was a terrorist attack. And that's really what got me thinking about what is a terror attack? And in the context of terrorism, you know, we experienced that on 9-11. And terrorism was one of those things, particularly after 9-11, that we knew what it was intuitively. But how do you define what it is? This past week, we've seen college campuses across the country, uh, students taking to the streets, students taking to social media in support of Palestine, in support of Hamas. Uh, one, more than one college professor has come out and said what, uh, what the Palestinians, or what, rather what Hamas did, uh, was justified because of the conditions in which Israel had been placing them. So we've got this debate, <clears throat> but in the, in the 
realm and the world of news coverage. What is terrorism? What is terrorism? And it occurred to me as I was thinking about this question, there's a famous quote from Confucius that says, the beginning of wisdom is the ability to call things by their right names. And when I recalled that quote, it reminded me just this week that the Associated Press, AP, took the position that they instructed their reporters to not refer to what Hamas did as terrorism. AP said it's not terrorism. We cannot call it terrorism. And even the Voice of America issued its own instructions to avoid calling Hamas terrorists. So being an attorney, I know that words have meaning. So I went and I looked up some of the definitions of terrorism, and not just going to the dictionary, but looking at organizations and groups and how they define terrorism to find out how do we apply that term to what we all saw on the news. You may know some people. I've actually talked to people who were in Israel not too far from the terrorist attacks. And so how do we define terrorism by the folks who know what terrorism means? The International Convention for the Suppression of the Financing of Terrorism. Now, there's an organization that should know what terrorism is uh, since they're fighting the financing of terrorism. Their definition is this. Any act intended to cause death or serious bodily injury to a civilian or any other person not taking an active part in the hostilities in a situation of armed conflict, when the purpose of such act by its nature or context is to intimidate a population or to compel a government or an international organization to do or to abstain from doing any act, unquote. Now, that's really long. I get it. That's a very long definition. But every part of that definition applies to what Hamas did. Every part of that. They caused death and serious bodily injury to civilians. We've seen that. We've seen over a thousand Israelis were killed. Americans were killed. People at a concert were killed. Babies were slaughtered. Women were raped. People were taken hostage. By its very nature, by its actual definition, it's terrorism. And what's the point? We understand from Hamas that the point of that terrorist act was to rebel against the Israeli government. Well, that again fits the definition. And, and I even looked up the United Nations Security Council. And right now the head of the United Nations is catching some flack about his uh, basically in large measure, his anti-Israeli position on this issue. But here's what the United States, or I'm sorry, the United Nations Security Council, they define terrorism as criminal acts, including against civilians committed with the intent to cause death or serious bodily injury or the taking of hostages, unquote. Again, it fits the exact definition of what Hamas did. So why is it, why is it then that the Associated Press, one of the largest, most revered news agencies uh, in the world, it's viewed as being non-political, it's viewed as being non-biased, why would they refuse to call what Hamas did terrorism. They didn't have any problem 22 years ago calling 9-11 an act of terrorism. 
that we saw, all saw that. So what's the difference? What is the difference? And, and I guess my point in asking the question is to make the point that there is no difference. But this is where we've come today, where you, you, there, there's a political bias that's built in to so much of our so-called fair and balanced reporting. Because here's another thing I looked up. I looked up what the Associated Press called the people who participated in the January 6th riot. Now, if you've heard me comment on this topic before, you, you'll know my position that January 6th was uh, horrific. It was indefensible. The people who rioted and caused uh, the, the riot and caused the shutdown of government were properly punished for doing that. I think some people thought that the that the Capitol was open for business because there was evidence that police officers opened the door and held the doors open. So I'm not sure that they should be convicted for anything more than trespassing. Uh, but the folks who were convicted for this, who were smashing windows, you know, the 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 January 6th shaman where he breaks into somebody's office and steals things, those folks were properly convicted for what they did. But by a vast majority, whether it's by polling data or whether by objective evidence, virtually all of the individuals who participated with January 6th were rioting. And yet, look at the Associated Press. They routinely, and I, and I did some research on this just this week, I routinely looked at what they did, and they called people who were involved in the January 6th riot, they called them insurrectionists. Well, if terrorism has become politicized, and that's the reason why the AP won't call what Hamas did terrorism, then why is it okay for the Associated Press to call the January 6th individuals insurrectionists? Why is that okay? Because what they did was clearly a riot. Why don't they call them rioters? There's no political baggage to the term rioters. They could have called them that, but no, no, no. They had to feed the narrative of the left that everyone who participated in January 6th, everyone who was there that day, were trying to overthrow the government of the United States that they were committing treason. And that's just simply not true. Were there some people there who were committing treason? Absolutely there were. Listen, the, the, the Proud Boys who were there and the folks who were there with guns and weapons and were trying to block the government from moving forward uh, in a hostile manner, you betcha. I think those people should be tried, and I, I can't say whether they should or shouldn't be convicted without seeing the evidence, but they certainly should be charged with those types of crimes of sedition or insurrection. But when you look at the rest of the folks, which is the vast majority of those on January 6th who were there mulling around, they didn't know what was going on, and they wandered in the building because they thought the building was open or that's where the crowd was going, were they really really trying to overthrow the government, or were they just at the wrong place at the wrong time? That's what we call a riot. We saw that right here when Axl Rose started the riot and people were, you know, participating in that riot. They were rioters. And that's the, co that's the per correct term to use. But any way that I look at the situation in Israel right now, by any definition— by any comparison or by any use of the English language, what Hamas did was terrorism. And I just wish 
that the Associated Press, among other news outlets, could, as Confucius said, the beginning of wisdom is the ability to call things by their right names. I wish they could simply call this what it is, which is terrorism. Was this terrorism or was it not? What are your thoughts? 314-436-7900. Brad Young, at your service. I want to hear from you right after this break. Welcome back to At Your Service. Brad Young in with you this evening. And in the last segment, I was talking about Hamas and whether they're a terrorist organization. And what's interesting is, is that uh, I saw a poll today, a Washington Free Beacon. It's a newspaper in Washington, D.C. It it uh, sponsored a poll. It's a large poll. Over a thousand individuals were polled. And here was the question. The question was, would you support deploying Marines to rescue Americans held hostage by Hamas in the Gaza Strip. You know, should we send in the Marines? Right now, we've got one aircraft carrier strike group that's there. The uh, The Gerald R. Ford is there, our newest aircraft carrier, biggest, most powerful aircraft carrier that's ever been built in the history of humankind, is there right now outside of, off the coast of Israel. And we also have the, I believe it's the Eisenhower, which has been deployed to go to uh, to there, to the Middle East, and it's on its way. It takes a takes a couple of days to get across the Atlantic and to get over to uh, uh, to that area of the world. So it's en route. So we're going to have two aircraft carrier strike groups, and and you know when they say an aircraft carrier, you understand that it's not just an aircraft carrier. There's a whole flotilla that goes with an aircraft carrier. There's multiple destroyers. Uh, they're called uh, Arleigh Burke class destroyers. There's refueling ships. There's smaller vessels like the literal combat ships. And then what almost every new news organization fails to report when they talk about an aircraft carrier strike group, there's always a, a nuclear submarine that goes with them every time to protect the aircraft carrier. So that's quite a force of, of that we have there. And should we use the Marines that are already on those ships should we use the Marines to go in and to rescue our hostages? Uh, you know, I got to tell you, I've got mixed feelings about this because certainly I'm in favor of the Marines rescuing our hostages. Of course, anywhere, at any time, send them in. They're the best in the world. But the question becomes, what kind of actionable intelligence do we have right now in terms of where these hostages are being held. They're probably being, and we know this from the hostages that have already been released, they're being sent around through tunnels. Uh, they're being shifted from building to building. So it becomes difficult, if not impossible, for us to know at any given time where those hostages are being held, first of all. Secondly, even if we know where those hostages are being held, do we know if those are hostages that are Israeli hostages or American hostages. You know, we don't we don't know that. It, you know, it's not like Star Trek where they can scan the place and identify who everybody is. That that doesn't exist in real life. So, we don't know. So, do we want to send in Marines into an urban warfare environment in a situation where we don't have actionable intelligence? We don't know where our hostages are being kept. 
or is that just really a suicide mission? So I, I'm not necessarily saying I'm against it, but the issue, I think, is far more complicated than simply saying, should we send in the Marine Corps? Yeah, that reminds me. Uh, there was this. There was a great. It was a cool movie. It was from, I think it was from the eighties. Oh, I know it was from the eighties. And the the plot of this movie, and I'll think of the name of it in a second. But the plot of this movie was the uh, USS Nimitz goes into, which is a Nimitz class aircraft carrier, goes into a time warp and goes back in time to uh, two days before the attack on Pearl Harbor in World War II. And the question was, what does that ship do? Uh, does it protect the United States of America? Does it protect the U.S. and Pearl Harbor from being attacked by the Japanese forces, knowing full well that it's going to completely change history if it does that? So, you know what? They, they, they dance around with the idea. But it's such an intriguing idea to know that one ship, the USS Nimitz, I think it's called the the final countdown. I think is what it's called. Isn't it intriguing to know that one ship, the USS Nimitz, could have easily defeated the entire Japanese Navy and Air Force? One ship, just with the with the uh, uh, with the F-14s. Then it was F-14s. Now it's F-18s that are built right here in St. Louis, along with some F-35s that are that are built in Texas. But one ship could just wipe the floor with the entire Japanese armada. Uh, and it was an intriguing idea. And, of course, he danced around the issues and didn't answer the question. And at the end of the day, it was very, very unsatisfying, like, a, you know, like, a, like just eating a bowl of rice for dinner. Very unsatisfying and unfulfilling. But it was still a very cool idea to ponder. Watch the movie. It's got Martin Sheen in it. That was before he became president. Uh, but there, there's a speaking of of presidents and and uh, the West Wing and. And of course, that brings up the Supreme Court. This is something I got to talk about on with uh, Total Information AM this week and last week as well. And there's a there's a case that's going to be uh, decided. The Supreme Court has decided to hear this case this term. And this is the context of this case. We all know if you've been following the news at all, you've known about how the Biden administration has been attempting to, not attempting, but even succeeding in censorship, telling Twitter. And Elon Musk, since he bought Twitter, has released a lot of this information. But Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, all of it, censoring speech that the government did not approve of. In fact, there was one instance where Elon Musk revealed that the federal government paid Twitter $3.5 million to make sure that they were censoring speech related to the Hunter Biden laptop story, which was we were being told at the time that it was Russian propaganda. We all know now that it's true and it's accurate. Uh, it was also pushing the narrative that the uh, that the covid virus did not come from a lab leak in Wuhan, China. Of course, now the evidence is not conclusively, but substantially uh, that the bulk of the evidence shows that it was a man-made virus probably released from the lab in Wuhan. And also one of the things that that the federal government was paying social media to censor was information regarding the efficacy of masks when it comes to the covid virus. And the research since then has shown that while masks can be beneficial in certain circumstances, uh, it, it certainly isn't 
uh, foolproof. And in fact, that the COVID virus is smaller than most of the masks that are available to the public. So on all three of those examples, along with many others, the federal government was paying social media companies to stop speech that was correct. And they did it under the guise of trying to block disinformation. Now, why am I mentioning that? Because in response to that activity, the states of Missouri, not Missouri, the states of Florida and Texas changed their state laws that required social media companies to have a fair and balanced approach. Both of those laws made it illegal for social media companies to censor speech based upon political bias. And so that's going to the Supreme Court this term. What do you, what do you think about that? Because I know a, a lot of my, uh, I've, I've got liberal friends, I've got conservative friends, I've got friends that couldn't care less. And as I've discussed this idea, because it's an idea that I'm very passionate about, I get the idea that a lot of conservatives say, well, what the Biden administration is doing is wrong, and what Florida and Texas is doing is the correct response to a federal government that is blocking and censoring conservative speech. And then you have the flip side that says, well, and in fact, a majority of Democrats in a poll that came out last week, 51%, are in favor of the federal government censoring speech that's called disinformation, which, of course, what does what does disinformation mean? It's all in the eye of the beholder, right? But as I look at this case, and I think the Supreme Court, this is a case where I would like the Supreme Court to have a unanimous decision. I don't think it's going to happen, but I'm hoping it's going to be unanimous or year, near unanimous, that it doesn't matter whether the speech that's being blocked or censored is conservative speech, libertarian speech, progressive speech, liberal speech, socialist speech. The content doesn't matter. We don't want the government deciding what speech is okay and what speech is not okay. That's not what we want the government doing. It's not about ideology. It's about freedom. And so while I understand the desire of the Texas legislature and the Florida legislature in trying to correct the wrongs that were perpetrated by the Biden administration, more government regulation of speech is not the answer. The answer is less. And so even though it hurts me to, to, to say, well, you know what? I think, Florida, you missed the boat on this one. In Texas, I think you're, uh, you're just your desire here is misplaced. I think that the Supreme Court has an opportunity here to set the record straight that government should not be deciding what is or isn't true. Government should not be blocking speech that it approves of or that it doesn't approve of. Because if they do then the First Amendment has no meaning. And the First Amendment has no purpose if the government can do that. Because while I don't like it, uh, private companies have the right of free speech. I, I'm a partial owner in a company. Do I want the government coming to my company and saying, you know, Brad, I hear you on the radio. You say these things. Uh, you know what? If you keep doing that, we're, we're just going to put your law firm out of business. I don't want the government doing that, regardless of what my speech is one way or the other, because companies like individuals have the freedom to speak. And that means the government can't tell a private corporation 
I want you to censor this type of speech, or I want you to promote this other type of speech. That's not what our government is for, and that's not the business of our government. And my hope is, my hope is that the Supreme Court will use this case as an opportunity to make that concept and that ideal loud and clear, make it crystal clear that that's not the government's job. Hey, we got to take a break. Uh, After the break, we're going to talk about states that are suing, speaking of social media companies, 33, actually, I think a total of 44 states are suing Meta, the parent company of Instagram and Facebook, over their algorithms. How could that impact your children and your family? Stick around. We'll talk about that next on At Your Service. Welcome back to At Your Service. Brad Young in with you this evening. And as you heard at the bottom of the hour, and as as we will cover in greater detail here on X at the top of the hour from CBS News, there's an active shooter situation going on right now in Lewiston, Maine. And there's... In any time there's a situation like this, there's a there's a fog of information. Somewhere between 16 and 22 individuals have been killed. Uh, dozens and dozens more, up to 60 people perhaps, have been injured in this. And the shooting occurred at, at a bowling alley in Lewiston, Maine. But there's also reports of shots fired at a local bar and at a Walmart distribution center. Now, officials are still looking out for the suspect. Apparently, at least at this point, there's only one known gunman. Perhaps there's more. We won't know uh, probably until tomorrow morning. But at the moment, there's there's photographs being circulated of the suspect, and he is not yet in custody, nor is he confirmed to be shot. And th- this is a tragedy. We dealt with a shooting situation right here in, in St. Louis at the Center for Visual and Performing Arts not that long ago. We just recently passed uh, the anniversary of that shooting. And these situations are awful and they're tragic. And the result on that part, we can all agree, regardless of whether you're on the right, you're on the left, anyone who looks at these situations, they can say this is a horrific situation and it shouldn't happen. And I also find it interesting that people have marches and they have rallies that, you know, we need to do something. Well, again, no one disagrees that this is horrific. No one disagrees that we should do something. The question becomes, what can we do? And that's why this situation, as complex as it is, has not been solved. Because what do you do in a situation? Now, the right says the answer is we should have more individuals with guns. For example, if you use the example here, if there was a person at the bowling alley that had a concealed carry, he or she could have taken down the shooter exactly when it happened. We had that situation in Texas at a church two years ago where someone opened fire at a church, which, by the way, if you're going to be a shooter, Texas is not the place to go, all right, because uh, they, they they fire back. I mean, that's why when you go deer hunting, you don't expect the deer to fire back. In this instance in Texas, uh, they did, and they took the shooter out, and it was a low loss of life because of the bravery of an armed individual. But then the flip side is valid argument. If people didn't have guns, then these kinds of things could not happen. So how do we rectify that situation? 
boy, I, I wish I had the wisdom to share with you this evening. If I did, uh, we could fix this problem, but we can't because those are two implacable situations where you cannot remove guns from citizens. It's in our Constitution, and there's a legitimate uh, purpose for people to have guns, not just for hunting, not just for squirrel hunting, not just for bird hunting, but self-defense. It's a legitimate right that the Supreme Court has upheld. But on the flip side, how do we control these situations? And it's it's hard for us emotionally to look at this and to say, here we go again. Here we go again. I mean, the, the people who were killed, anywhere between 16 and 22, we know that there's going to be moms, dads, somebody's brother, somebody's uncle, somebody's relative was killed today because a maniac with a gun did something that was horrific and, dare I say, evil. Yeah, I think you can call that evil. I have no problem doing that. And so one part of me says, we need to hold this individual responsible. And and hopefully we will. Either he is arrested on the spot and faces due process, or, as happens in so many of these situations, they either kill themselves or they're killed during a shootout with the police. At that point, my you know my desire, and I I know this probably isn't politically correct to say, but when folks go into these situations with a desire to kill themselves, and I don't wish this upon anyone, but there's a part of me, and I bet if you're honest with yourself, there's a part of you too that says, instead of killing dozens of innocent people, just start with yourself. Now I, I go, I know that's not politically correct. And I'm not advocating people to kill themselves. It's just a a visceral, emotional response to an awful, horrific tragedy. And all of these people are innocent people killed for no reason, which, much like we talked about in one of the earlier segments, isn't that what we had in Hamas in Israel? Those people at that concert didn't do anything to subjugate the Palestinians. Those, those civilians, those grandparents, those babies who were slaughtered, they didn't do anything to put down the folks in Gaza, to harm the Palestinian cause, to bomb or harm or kidnap any members of Hamas. They didn't do anything. They were innocent people. So we can look at that and say what Hamas did was wrong. And we can look at what this shooter is doing right now in Lewiston, Maine, and we can say what he did and what he is maybe currently and actively doing is wrong and it's evil. And it's okay for us to get angry about that situation. It is. There's not a lot of stuff that I get angry about, but it's okay for us to be angry at that. And I know how you probably felt when when we have shootings right here in the St. Louis area. Because then it becomes, it becomes personal. It becomes, it brings it home that these things don't just happen over there. These things don't just happen somewhere else. They happen right here. They happen right here. But in our emotional response to tragedy, my hope is we don't go too far. Much like when you're driving your car and you start to slide and you overcorrect and you end up in the ditch— I don't want us to overcorrect here and say all guns are bad, 
all guns are evil because guns don't possess a soul. It's the people who are using them that makes the difference about whether they're used properly, whether they're used for good, or whether they're used for evil. What do you think? 314-436-7900. Would love to hear your opinion on that topic, either by phone or by text, right here on At Your Service Camo X. We're going to hear more from CBS News at the top of the hour and probably at the bottom of the hour at 930 as well. So if you want the latest, stick around on the Voice of St. Louis, Camo X.